Hello, and welcome to the Cane Creek Cycling Podcast, the official podcast of Cane Creek Cycling Components. I'm your host, Luke Bukowski, and today we're going to talk about suspension. It's one of the most important components on a modern mountain bike, and yet most of us, if we're really being honest with ourselves, don't really understand what's happening in there. In order to help clear things up and give us a few tips on our own suspension setups, I recently spoke with Cane Creek Suspension Manager Alex Dawson and Jeff LaForge, Design Engineer with Cane Creek. Like most of the world lately, we've all been working remotely, so if this sounds a bit like it was recorded from a Zoom call, that's because it was. Fair warning, you may hear the occasional toddler screaming in the background, and for all of you physics phobes out there, one case of an engineer referencing the ideal gas law. Don't say you weren't warned. Let's get started. Uh, here we are today with uh, Alex Dawson. And Alex, what does the suspension manager do? So I oversee all of the production of uh, new rear suspension and our helm forks. And then in addition to that, I uh, oversee all of our in-house service because we do factory direct service. So, And somewhat informally, increasingly more formally, you, you also have a, a hand in development in R&D, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's a, an extremely fun portion of my job, um, where I get to help Jeff both, uh, assemble new ideas, if you will, and then also go test ride them. Cause I really love riding my bike. So. <laughs> <laughs> and this Jeff guy you mentioned is, uh, is Jeff LaForge design engineer. Is that the right title? Yeah. Design engineer is my official title but um it's everything from new product development and r&d all the way through sustaining efforts on continuous improvements so we're not limited just to suspension um you know we have a heavy focus on seat posts cranks more recently bottom brackets um and so it's a very encompassing design role across the cane creek product line at a kind of a high level like how does suspension work what makes it do what it does yeah, um, so there are two main elements in a shock or a fork. You have a, a damper, which is charged with dissipating energy, um, energy of impacts, and then also you, <clears throat> you have a spring. Um, and the spring is responsible for keeping you at the right position um, in travel, so at sag, and then absorbing hits um, and those both the spring and the damper work together in unison um, to get give you an optimized ride feel um, so as you take a big heavy impact your spring is absorbing that and displacing down um, through travel and at the same time your damper is absorbing that energy um, and the rebound stroke same thing's happening the spring is trying to relieve that potential energy built up inside of it and the damper is absorbing more energy on the rebound stroke. Um, so your springs are typically either air springs or coil springs. Um, and then the damper is a series of valves and shims in oil um, that is a velocity dependent energy dissipator. So am I oversimplifying it to say that the spring pushes back and the damper 
slows that push back down. Yes, in a rebound stroke. So how does it do it? Just, you know, I think we all have this kind of concept of, okay, I, I get how a coil spring works. I can push on a spring and it pushes back, and I understand that piece. I think most people get that. An air spring, I, maybe not as much. Um, and then a damper, you know, that that could be kind of magic to me. So so what's what's going on there on a technical level? Yeah, so like I mentioned, um, the damper typically comprises of a main piston with shims on both sides, the compression and rebound side. And as you go through travel, um, that piston pushes through a head of oil, um, and oil is allowed past the shims, um, which creates your pressure drop or, you know, absorb some of that energy um, and dissipate some of that energy. Now, above your piston, um, there's typically some valving, so high-speed and low-speed adjusters um, in compression, for instance. So some of the oil is going past the main piston and shims, and the rest of that oil will be getting pushed up through the compression adjuster. Um, typically, the low-speed adjuster will be just a hole with a needle in it, and the, the location of that needle sets the pressure drop. Um, for low speed flow. And then your high speed flow is typically um, a poppet valve or something similar where you can preload a spring up against a valve and then when the pressure is high enough, it'll relieve um, the valve, the valve will open and displace oil, um, also dissipating energy. And then you can adjust the amount of preload on that valve by turning a spring um, that, that holds the valve closed. So the more spring preload you have on the valve, the more pressure it will take to open it, um, and therefore the higher compression damping forces um, you'll achieve. And Alex, so you've, I know, been to Sea Otter several times and um, have kind of been closer, I would say, to the sort of, I don't know, public outreach, marketing side of things. So when you're standing there talking to a rider who comes up to you and asks about our suspension, um, you know, what are the questions you're getting and how are you talking to them about that and describing it? Like you said, I think suspension can feel like black magic if you don't know what's going on inside. So a lot of riders will come to you with feedback about things they're experiencing while they ride their bike on the trail right and that's something that we try really hard to translate experiences on the bike into tuning adjustments you could make to your shock um, I think the number one mistake that riders make uh, we talk about the spring element of your suspension and the most important thing in my mind is picking the proper spring rate for your rider weight. Um, so typically you want to pick a, a spring um, that with the dead weight of your body sitting on it sags between anywhere from 15 to 30 percent. And I think that that's a really fundamental starting spot. And then from there you use that damper to control your spring because uh, I always compare it to a pogo stick right and a pogo stick does not have a damper it's just the spring and you can imagine if we were riding on just a spring uh, your shock would feel pretty terrible 
Yeah, and you know, since we're since we're wading into spring rate, let's get into it. Let's touch on coil versus air. Yeah, uh, I have a lot of fun talking to people about that. Um, I think the pretty obvious benefits with coil suspension are there are less seals that are needed, and so there's usually less friction in a coil uh, suspension piece. You can imagine with an air shock, you have to have um, several more uh, seals that create drag, um, and if you know they weren't tight enough, air would leak out of your air spring, and so that's a big advantage um, to coil suspension is you just get rid of that seal drag. Uh, in addition to that, um, a coil spring is much, much less affected by temperature. Um, so you can imagine it could be uh, near freezing or 100 degrees outside, and a coil spring largely acts the same. Um, with an air spring, if it's near freezing, all of those air molecules are more condensed and closer together. And so your shock can actually feel quite different uh, if it's an air shock and it's really cold outside. Um, I personally favor air sprung suspension. And the reason why is it gives you the ability to tune your spring rate uh, uh, for basically bottom out resistance. Um, so I really prefer air suspension. Why do you guys think um, that coil has had such a comeback? I think there's a, a few parts to it. Um, a, a big part of it, I think, more and more bike frame manufacturers are making their frames such that the frame itself becomes more progressive as you go through travel. And so much like the air spring characteristic I talked about liking, if your frame naturally becomes progressive at the end and avoids bottoming out too harshly, then you can run a coil shock and you get all of those awesome advantages like I talked about uh, being less affected by temperature. Um, another big advantage is you don't have an air can around your damper and so a coil shock can actually dissipate heat better and theoretically could handle an even longer descent without becoming overheated. So I, we didn't really touch on the what's linear, what's progressive, and, and what's the difference in how it feels when you're riding your bike. Yeah, so I think Alex really hit the nail on the head when you think about it in terms of bottom-out resistance. Um, so a very progressive bike towards the end of its stroke has built-in bottom-out resistance similar to that of an air spring um, and that's because towards the end of your stroke the leverage ratio changes such that the bike doesn't have as much leverage over the shock um, meaning it's not going to want to bottom out very harshly so a coil spring will be very you know acceptable in that application and feel very nice um, Whereas a bike with a very linear leverage ratio um, is will want to bottom out harshly. So basically the bike's leverage over the suspension piece 
doesn't change throughout the stroke of the travel. Um, so you'll need the ramp up of the air spring to prevent bottoming out harshly. Um, <clears throat> and basically that ramp up, what I'm talking about is the amount of change in force of the spring per change in stroke. Um, so you can think a, a coil spring, no matter how much you displace it, has the same spring rate throughout, whereas an air spring towards the end of the stroke, uh, that force really starts to increase exponentially the closer you get to bottom out, which prevents that um, harsh bottom out feeling. Think back to the ideal gas law, PV equals NRTP on that one. Oh, so everyone, this is the perfect. Everyone should think back to the ideal gas law. Um. Change volume, change of pressure. Yeah. And then uh, that pressure acts on the piston generating a, a spring force. Yeah. So for all of you, so for all of you wanted a simple understanding of suspension, just think of the ideal gas law. Uh, um, okay. So, so Alex, you've, uh, and I know you, you guys have both just torn apart a lot of suspension in your lives. Um, I think we can all safely say there's a lot of really good suspension out there. Um, but you know, I think one of the things that is controversial, people like to talk about, some people just don't know. And I think this actually applies to like across the board. This is not just suspension, but a lot of people uh, want to know it about a lot of components. What is literally the physical difference between a really high-end piece of suspension like a Cane Creek product versus something that is more um, entry-level or, um, you know, original equipment manufacturer on a, let's say a you buy a $1,000 bike and you're just getting into it and it's got a suspension fork on it. And our fork is, is, is as much as this bike. So, you know, what is the physical difference when you open that thing up? Yeah. Uh, a lot of times on more entry level suspension, um, you'll see a compression adjuster that's almost like a, a light switch, if you will. Uh, it's either on or off, meaning that you can either have supple suspension or you can lock it out, right? And I think with a higher end piece of suspension, you often have a bunch of points in between those two extremes. And so you can find the perfect, perfect midpoint for either your style of riding or the way your particular frame works. Um, and on top of that, uh, you know, um, our shocks have multiple rebound adjusters. Um, so you have a low speed rebound and a high speed rebound adjuster. Um, and then you have low and high speed compression as well. And so instead of with the more basic suspension to make a drastic change to how it performs, you'd really have to open it up and make internal changes. And with a higher end piece of suspension, often you have access externally on the shock to make all those changes yourself in the field, even if you want, um, instead of in a clean suspension shop so but with a higher end piece of suspension often the finish on parts is nicer the materials used are nicer um and uh yeah in our case uh at cane creek um 
everything is hand assembled and hand tested uh, uh, in addition to computerized um, dyno testing. Okay, Jeff, it's your chance. All those armchair engineers out there, what, what, what do they need to know? Get your stuff serviced. Um, you know, I mean, all of our suspension has a service in the interval that's relatively generous and you could probably fudge it a little bit if you need to, but um, if you want to have your suspension running 100% and really be reliable and feeling perfectly the way you want it to, um, you got to take care of it. You know, if your tires are starting to look a little bit worn or the knobs are starting to run low, um, you buy new tires, right? So your suspension definitely needs that same amount of care, um, you know, annually or, you know, at that hundred hour ride mark. Let's start with you, Alex. You got to have a Picadillo. Oh, you know it. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, uh, <laughs> my number one suggestion to anyone trying to make their suspension feel better is get your spring rate nailed. Um, and I think oftentimes more aggressive riders, uh, you heard me talk a little bit about picking the right spring rate for your body weight, right? And uh, basically, you want that uh, proper spring rate so that when you sit on your bike, um, your shock and fork both sag a percentage of the travel. And I think a common mistake is either setting your suspension up to where you are sagging way too much. Uh, for instance, you're sagging halfway through your travel already before you get on the bike, which is going to make your bike feel like a slug. Um, and then the flip side of that would be you think you're a really cool, fast racer or a free rider, and you set your suspension up just ridiculously stiff. Um, and in some cases, don't get me wrong, uh, especially if you're, you're a free rider, you do want stiffer suspension. But I think oftentimes I see riders setting their bike up too stiff or too soft, and then you have really, really bad uh, problems associated with both of those things. So just because you heard Aaron Gwynn sets his suspension up <laughs> stiff doesn't mean that you need to as well, because you are not Aaron Gwynn. That's what I remind people all the time. So, <laughs> In summary, you are not Aaron Gwynn. Um, yes. Although... I don't know, Dawson. You're Aaron Gwynn in my eyes, man. Oh, shoot. Well, I like to remind people that while I do ride fast, right, on my uh, rear shock, I run a pretty generous uh, 30 to 33% sag, right? Um, I run a little bit less on my fork. I'm closer to between 20 and 25% sag, depending on exactly what I'm trying to do. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm not trying to run 10% or 5% sag because then if I go flying into a choppy, rough piece of trail, uh, my bike's going to be bouncing everywhere and I'm probably going to wreck. So. Yeah. <laughs> Let the suspension do its work, right? Yeah. Jeff, what's a, what's your favorite bike you've ever owned? Um, I really liked my Santa Cruz Bronson. Um, it was the Bronson two. 
I really, really had a lot of fun on that bike and really enjoyed it. Um, I recently got talked into going to a 29 inch wheeled bike um, and I'm on a Trek Slash and that's definitely been a game changer. Um, gotta pick one, a, gotta pick one. Uh, I'm gonna go 2.9. I'm really liking the Slash right now. Um, it runs great, it's very responsive and nimble but also has those big wheels that can just kind of charge over deep roots and ruts. All right, and Alex, it doesn't have to be the best bike you've ever owned. Um, but your favorite bike, what's the one you think about and smile? <laughs> yeah. Uh, mine has to be, um, my first real, real downhill bike that I ever got. Um, it was a 2010 specialized demo eight. Um, the same red and black paint job that Sam Hill was riding at the moment. And I will never forget the day I got that bike. And I will never forget some of the races I did on that bike. So it's hanging on the wall in my basement. That's awesome. And that's our show. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And please leave us a rating. It really helps people find the show. We're planning on releasing an episode about once a month right now, so keep an ear out for the next installment in early June. If you'd like to connect with Cane Creek on social media, visit us on Instagram at Cane Creek USA or on Facebook at Cane Creek Cycling Components. Stay safe out there, keep riding, and we'll see you next time.